And good morning. The live time is now 9 a.m. on the nose here live downtown from the KOPN studios. And it is time for Community Pulse on this Thursday, the 2nd of July. Community Pulse can be caught live uh, Monday through Thursdays, 9 a.m., live right here from the downtown KOPN studios. If you happen to miss an episode, you can find them on our Facebook page, also on our website, and we are now available as a podcast on Spotify. On this morning's program, we are so very pleased to welcome back Dr. Elizabeth Alleman, who will be joined this morning by Dr. Mark Johnson. He is a professor of immunology and also uh, microbiology at MU. And we have a very interesting topic today. Perhaps you've heard about contact tracing. Dr. Johnson and Dr. Alleman will be talking about one particular variety of contact tracing that the university is undertaking at the moment. Doctors, good morning to you. Good morning, Peter, and good morning, Dr. Johnson. Good morning. So um, before we get uh, jump into this topic, which is kind of a sobering thing to jump into, um, and just at, to continue the tease, we are going to talk about how um, testing wastewater can help us respond to this uh, global pandemic. So before we get into that, I wanted to go through the numbers, and I'm going to be a little bit limited by just before we got on the air, my home internet um, connection went down. So I have the information that I have, um, but I don't have the number of numbers that I typically do. So um, I might the have world, them in front of me if you need them. I, I watch these pretty religiously. Well, great. Do you <laughs> want to just go over them, Dr. Johnson, about like what what numbers are you looking at? It might be more interesting. Well, for so we, we the U.S. broke their record again yesterday. We had over fifty one thousand cases. And, new cases. Uh, new cases. Yeah. Um, and it's being led mostly by those southern states of Texas, Florida, California, Arizona. And I can't prove this, but I have a suspicion that it's gonna. It's the worst right now in the places where you desperately want to be inside the most because it's so darn hot. Right. But. Oh, those are also very popular states, which I'm sure yes. is contributing. And California is also included in that. And I have not looked at whether the southern part of the state of California is um, more active than the northern part, which, again, there's population stuff, but then there's some weather issues as well. I haven't either, but yeah. it's, in terms of new cases, it's almost not fair because they're like their own country. They're so big. Right, right. Um, yeah, and then are you following the cases in Missouri as well? I'm sure that you are. I am. Um, uh, we're, uh, we're ticking up, mm-hmm. um, yeah. w- which is consistent with what we're, what we're seeing in the lab. Okay. Um, so, um, all right. and, yeah, yeah. So, uh, please introduce us to what you're talking about. How is wastewater and your lab, uh, an important part of this? So it's pretty simple. Um, The pesky thing about this virus is that when you get infected, you might be asymptomatic or you might be asymptomatic for a while before you start showing symptoms. Either way, most of the time between when you get infected and when you're all to the point where, God, I got to get tested, it's probably going to be one to two weeks. Whereas when you get infected, almost very quickly, you've got virus replicating in your in your body. And even if you're not feeling sick, that virus is there. And that which doesn't, you don't blow out your nose when you sneeze, is is going to be excreted the other way that things are excreted from your body. And surprisingly, even though the, you can't culture virus from wastewater, from, from sewage, it, the RNA is still there and you can detect it. 
this wasn't me that came up with this. It was first uh, study in the Netherlands, but several groups have shown it now. And it's it's remarkably effective that you can detect, you can get a readout of what's going on in an entire society, through an entire community, through a single sampling of, of wastewater. Just so you're able to you're able to like do some sort of quantitative assessment. You're able to see whether there's more or less of it. That's correct. Okay. I mean, so we we get a, we get samples of wastewater. We concentrate it. We isolate the genetic material, and then from there, it's just the same as what happens in the clinic. They, we do the same exact PCR test that that these that these drive-through clinics are using, except we include a standard curve. So basically, a way that we can say when we get a signal, we can say how many copies that represents. And what we've seen so far very closely traces what's sort of going on in in communities that. Um, when you will see increases in the amount of wastewater, and, and not like small changes, like ten hundredfold increases from week to week, and it will track right along with what we are finding in the clinics about the same time. And sometimes we'll even see it a little before the clinics do. Okay, so so you have just really packed us with a lot of information right there. So the first thing you said is that we cannot culture it from um, wastewater. So what you're saying is that it's our best information right now is that this um, genetic material is not associated with replicating viruses, and so we don't think that wastewater workers or people like you in the lab are at risk of getting COVID-19 infection from we, we, messing with We, we can't say the risk is zero, but we have groups that have tried to culture it out of stool have not been successful, even if they're taking it straight from a patient. It's not to say that it can't ever happen, but it's not its not very risky. There's many other things in there that are greater risk, I think, than the COVID. Right. And, and when, uh, when a, there are many viruses and bacteria and parasites that um, are adapted and evolved and almost like they're specifically designed to effectively move from one host to another, Mm-hmm. through um, poop and urine, but mostly poop. And and those diseases move through a community in a particular way, and we're yes. not seeing that pattern with this virus. Is that, is that what you believe? That's too? right. And most of, the, um, most of the time those are a different flavor of virus, ones that, um, not to get too technical, but they usually they don't have a lipid bilayer, meaning they're they're just beta protein and they can survive much better in those environments. Those okay. are your noroviruses and your most of your um, most of the ones you hear about in cruise ships are it's just a different flavor of virus. Which is not to say that none of the ones like Corona can be spread can't be spread by um, by stool, but that does not seem to be the, the main case. Especially, the, the, there have been a few cases where it might have been happening, but those are cases where um, the, the wastewater was basically aerosolized. Um, okay, and and those. So, are, but that is not believed yeah. to be a major method of transmission of this virus. Right. I have heard people talk about maybe we need to be careful about public restrooms and the flushing of toilets after people poop. Is that what you're talking about? Uh, it was there was this particular case in China where there was some funniness with the with their pipes, and they did see a big outbreak. They never really pinned it down to how that was happening, whether it was truly the the feces or whether it was you know you know people are also sneezing and putting in. The, right. But it, again, uh, if you're talking about restrooms, I would be more careful about the, the doorknobs and things like that than worrying about um, the toilets. 
And the breath of the other people who are in there at the same time. I'm sorry? And the breath of the people who are in there at the same time. Yes, if someone's sneezing, that's a a real good way of spreading it. And so we're also not, we are not seeing this uh, virus um, spread primarily through wastewater treatment workers or plumbers who are in your pipes or um, in places where there's, you know, um, sewage is not treated the way we do here. Is that your understanding as well? Like That's my understanding. It's, okay. So, because I know early on we were detecting it in stool and people were concerned that, you know, I have patients who are plumbers and they're like, well, should I be worried? I'm like, I don't think so. And so it's really good to hear you affirming that as well. I mean, everyone should be careful. Um, Absolutely. I, I hope they're washing their hands anyway, but yes. um, it's it doesn't seem to be a major source of infection. Right. Yeah. And, and, and the, the case I was referring to, the... The, the best study I know of is with, it was called the Munich cohort, where they looked very carefully over time at how much, um, how much virus was shed by, through the nose and the feces over time. And, you know, it was very variable from patient to patient. Um, but even when they were having a billion copies of RNA per gram of feces, they, they couldn't culture the virus out. It okay. was fairly, it was, seemed to be non-viable. But this messenger RNA does survive the trip through the intestinal tract, and you can find it in wastewater. Amazingly, yes. Okay. And do you have any – it sounds like you're just confident that that's the RNA you're finding, that it's that one, and that it is reflective of um, what's going on in in the community as far as number of people being affected. Well, uh, first of all, when I started, I was very skeptical that this would even work. Um, this, the, the whole project was not my idea. It was actually, um, hopefully you'll get to talk to him next week, uh, Chris Weiberg at the Department of Natural Resources, who read an article. He's like, you know, this would be a really useful thing to do. And he recruited me in to be involved in this project. But when I started, I, I was just like, no, no way that's going to work. But we started yeah. doing it, and we just kept – we kept we kept getting signal, and the signal very closely tracked with what we were seeing in the communities. Um, and yeah, where have you been I, I'm very confident that we're really detecting COVID. Okay, and where is it that you're testing? Are you testing in Boone County? We have only taken a couple samples from Boone County. Um, mostly so far, we've been, we've been we've been in a trial period uh, where we've been looking at St. Louis and Springfield, and I've also my lab has also done a few for. Um, um, some places out of state, but fairly okay. few. Um, but starting next week, we'll be sampling most of the state. We will be getting 60 to 80 samples per week, which I tried to do the numbers. I think we're we're going to be covering 70 or 80 percent or more of the population of the state every week. And where? So you're going to be doing that once a week. And where will that data get? Published? Are, are you share, going to share that with the public? Yeah, it's, uh, absolutely. This is going to be a transparent project. It's simply a matter right now. Of, there, have you been on the DHSS website for the state where they have a, a dashboard where you can yeah. look at the cases by county? There will be a separate dashboard set up on that website where they'll have um, they'll have not only the they'll have a GIS map of each of the facilities, so you know exactly. You can like zoom in and see. What re, what areas led to or, or fed into that wastewater facility, uh-huh, right. and then you'll have we'll have the numbers each week, um, and we've already, the, the numbers we've already been sharing with the health departments and the leaders. It's just we haven't done a big data dump until we 
have a way that we're going to put it in context. Yeah, but yes, it's going to be transparent. And that has got to be um, uh, a little bit daunting to be doing the whole state and be doing it transparently. Typically, scientists have a period of time where they're quietly doing something in the lab and nobody really is paying too much attention to what they're doing. And yep. then after a while, you get to go through a process and you get to throw your data out among your colleagues and then peer review before you actually you know, are like talking on the radio and the public is looking at what you're doing. We've been at it for a little over a month now. Um, we don't have it perfect yet, but we're I've, we're pretty confident in, in what we can provide, and that it will probably be really um, fast. We'll probably collect a few weeks of most of the state before it'll probably they they suggest probably the end of July is when the dashboard is going to go okay. up, and the plan is to continue the sampling for a year. Okay. Hopefully, we won't need it after then. But we'll well, see. now that's very hopeful of you, and I I share your hopefulness. But um, yeah, I just said I hope. Yeah, I, mean. I hope. Right. Um, yeah. So, so is are play, other places doing this, or is this something that is um, fairly? Unique? Yes, a lot of other places are doing it, but honestly, I don't know of another place that is doing this as comprehensively as the state of Missouri is. It's. I think probably by this fall you're going to see this done almost everywhere. I know that there's a lot of small operations doing it. There have been studies that came out of New Haven, Connecticut, and I know New York City's wastewater is is setting up to try and do something like this in-house. And There are lots of places across the country where they're doing it. Um, Utah is another one that has has done a lot of places, but this is probably the biggest single um, cohort that I've seen. Oh, there's also a private company out of MIT called Biobot that is doing this sort of semi-privately for a lot of um, jurisdictions or okay. districts. And and um, so where is the funding coming from? Uh, this is from a few different sources. Uh, a lot of it is through a CDC grant, I believe. Okay. Um, although the real people to ask that will be the, the, the my state counterparts who handle that part. Gotcha. And so is this a new thing for your lab to be um, testing wastewater, or is this something that you all have been doing a long time and you feel confident, you, like, no, this is not a big stretch for you? This is very new to me. Um, I was very uh, reluctant to get involved in this project. I was So when the uh, COVID first hit, I was Along with George Smith, we organized sort of a COVID symposium of the different scientists on campus that were doing stuff. And so I think it was because of that someone contacted me and said, hey, the state is looking to find someone who can do this kind of testing. Do you know anyone who can? And I kind of tried to pass it on to some various labs that I thought were better set up for it than I am, but um, it didn't end up panning out. And I sort of read the techniques that they use for it. I mean, I've never, my lab studies basic biology. We study HIV research. We do some drug development, all basic science. I've never done diagnostics ever before. But I started looking at the protocols they use, and it was actually very similar to the protocols we were already using for, I mean, this is what we do every day. We take virus, we often concentrate it, we extract the nucleic acid um, and sequence it to learn various things. I'm like, oh, this is the same protocol. I, I could help. When I first started, I thought I was just helping them set up protocols. But then 
it became clear that they wanted someone to do the assay, and a lot of them, and the number that they wanted just kept growing. But um, it, it was just, it seemed to me that it's a no-brainer that this really needs to be done. And so we could and do it, had so the, we agreed. And you had the skills to do it. Um, and it was, let me be clear, it wasn't me. I probably would have turned, said no, but I kind of put out a call I, to, at Mizzou to find out who were experts on this thing. And so I have my, my colleague, Chung Ho Lin, who has uh-huh. been – he's the PCR expert, and he's been measuring nucleic acids from various – all kinds of different environmental sources for, for 15 years. He knows, he knows that part very well. I know the virus part. And so together we kind of have all the skills that are needed. And this is the way science typically happens. I think we often speak of it like it's some lone person with an idea hiding away and keeping their their part secret, but it's often um, worked with collaboration of one person, people bringing different skills to it. Yeah, ideally this is how it should work all the time. Right. Um, and It yeah, doesn't but, always work like this. But no, this I know. There are was, sometimes was, people who are, feel a little territorial about figuring it out first. Yeah. Um, so what? So you're going to start doing this broad testing um, next week, and then by the end of the month, um, the public should, if all goes well, the public uh, is likely to get some of this information. And then, mm-hmm. um, but in the meantime, it sounds like uh, public health leaders will still be seeing that data. So if there's something remarkable that needs a response, you've got the people who um, need to know that are going to be in yeah. the loop. And I had to wonder whether this – so I know St. Louis just put on a mask requirement, and I don't know whether this contributed to it or not, but like I said, we've been measuring from St. Louis, and every, we can detect the virus in now every one of their facilities, and it's it's very clearly going up. And there's no testing involved in this. There's no – no one can argue that we're seeing it go up because we're doing more testing. It's just one sample a week, and the increase is right. very clear. Right. Yeah, so that – there are some advantages of this because this gives an idea of like how much of this virus is going into the wastewater. Mm-hmm. Um, humans being the only host that we know of, um, so it has to be from humans. Mm-hmm. And um, you, you're catching everybody except, mm-hmm. I guess, people who don't use, don't flush their waste. Well, we can't do parts of the state where they use septic tanks, for instance. I'm not, gotcha. We're not going to go at every house, but we, we and, can get a pretty good swath. And gotcha. it, although that. We aren't really – I don't know if we're going to find – it's possible we'll find outbreaks before they happen. But if nothing else, we're going to give the whole state a reality check of where we are at every moment that's going to be ahead of what happens in the clinics. And this is a way to do – to sort of um, not have to be using the scarce resources of you know, what we've been limited in our ability to do, like community-wide nasal swabs, has to do – surprisingly, with the availability of a Dacron-flocked swab and uh, the little bit of fluid, the viral transport medium that's in the bottom of the test tube that allows the sample to go from your nose to the lab. Mm -hmm. We have been a little bit limited by what the lab can do and their reagents, but mostly it has been this sample collection, and I'm guessing you don't have to do that in your... No, we don't. Although, in general, this kind of testing, it, it's it's not trivial. It's not like, the you know, um, a pregnancy test. It, it, there are several steps involved in doing these kind of tests, even with just the, you know, with the nasal swabs. So right. it, it's not surprising that it's hard to really ramp these up to some, 
conservatively, but I would hope that with with this better information about where are we really seeing increases, that at least the, if there is more community testing widespread, that it will be more targeted right. to where we know there's new a lot of new infections occurring. And you're right now only doing like at wastewater treatment plants. You are not breaking into sewer pipes in particular neighborhoods or outside of a facility. This is there's going to be a few exceptions. For instance, um, we're going to be sampling. So if there's particularly vulnerable or, you know, telling populations, we sometimes will break it down. So, for instance, it, here at Mizzou, there was no way to um, – we wanted to get a separate sampling of whether the students are um, – Full, so we couldn't do that with a single pipe. So we're actually have a. I think we're going to have a few across campus where we can pull up um, samples that are derived from a few of the of the dorms. And uh, there's a couple prisons that we're going to be sampling because uh, those are very vulnerable populations. But for the most part, it's going to be wastewater treatment facilities. And so there. So if there's an access to the pipe, you could theoretically uh, sample nursing homes. Theoretically. Okay. Um, it would make more sense. Yeah, yeah it, it could be done uh, as long as there is a single pipe from the nursing home. And it, 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 you don't just do a dip. You, you kind of they always are composite samples, so they sample every hour for 24 hours, and that's what we use in the, the test. It's not very useful if you don't do that. Right. Okay. Because right. Okay. This is so fascinating. I am so thankful that you um, were able to get to take some time and uh, answer these questions for us. Um, and uh, we'll be having uh, you and some of your colleagues from the state uh, uh, joining us um, uh, on your health matters as we figure out the um, the timing of that. Um, so if people are interested in a further conversation, there will be that. Are there other ways online uh, that people could follow your work or um, see what else is going on in this area? There will be. Um, I would keep an eye on the DHSS website. Uh, they, they update it pretty regularly, and by the end of the summer, they should be able to follow this in detail, and there will be a whole sort of explanation of what's going on and what the numbers mean. Okay. Um, well, Dr. Mark Johnson, thank you so much for spending some time with us. Um, this is Thursday, so there will not be Community Pulse on Friday or over the weekend. And Monday morning, uh, Jenny Chadwick will be uh, uh, hosting uh, because we're going to be wanting to talk about the mask policy that's being proposed in front of the city council, and the city council meeting is Monday evening. So, um That'll be Monday, and then I don't know what the rest of the week will be like, but I'll be pondering that this weekend. So thanks so much for uh, joining us. Thank you so much for, to Peter for um, engineering, and I hope that everyone stays well. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Alleman, and also thank you to Dr. Johnson. I was very much looking forward to listening to you folks for the rest of the hour. That was an incredible topic, an uh, incredibly intriguing topic, I should say. Uh, if you were just joining us, our guest on today's edition of Community Pulse was Dr. Mark Johnson. He is a professor of microbiology and immunology over at MU, and he was here to discuss a somewhat nascent uh, research project 
in which the messenger RNA from COVID-19 can be detected in populations using human wastewater. To summarize the uh, most salient point from that conversation, we will, of course, be posting articles uh, on our website and on our Facebook feed. But the DHSS website will soon be having a separate dashboard that will be conveying uh, the findings of Dr. Johnson and his colleagues. Uh, I assure you there is no pun intended in such a statement, but uh, there will be a data dump quite soon. So thank you very much for joining us here on Community Pulse. As a reminder, you can catch Community Pulse live Monday through Thursday at 9 a.m. The episodes are then uploaded to our Facebook page, our website, and also to Spotify as a podcast. And Dr. Johnson and some of his colleagues will be joining joining Dr. Alleman next week on Your Health Matters. That wraps it up for Community Pulse today and also for the week. We wish you a pleasant weekend, Columbia. As a reminder, we would like to know what questions, comments, and insights you may have about Community Pulse and also in general towards programming here on KOPN, your listener-supported and volunteer-operated community radio station. Leave us a message at 573-874-1139 or email us at gm at kopn.org. You can also contact us through Facebook, the website, Instagram, all of the usual channels. We thank you again so much for tuning into Community Pulse. An abridged version of background briefing follows. We encourage you to not only stay safe, but also stay informed, Columbia. Until next week.